Amen. Dang, y'all. Ready to preach after that. Holy cow. Oh, man, that was good. Um, all right, this is Nehemiah 4. I'm Dave. I'm not Randy. He's in Florida. I'm here. Uh, pray for him. Pray for me. Uh, Nehemiah 4. God's word to us. When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Nice one, Tobiah. Yeah, the fox is going to tear it down. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. But when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They plotted, uh, sorry, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. God's word. All right. Well, any time, if, if you've not been with us, we're in the, the book of Nehemiah, that's what I just read. Randy's obviously drawing amazing things here. Didn't know I had a chalkboard to use today, but anytime you're trying to build something or accomplish something that is bringing glory to God's name, anytime you're trying to do that, because remember what Nehemiah is doing in rebuilding Jerusalem, he's doing something that he said earlier God had put in his heart to do. So this is something God has called him to do and called the Jews to do, right? Anytime you're trying to build something or accomplish something that is bringing glory to the name of God, or that is in line with his redemptive plan for his people. Because that's what was happening. God was working out redemption for his people, right? 
He was restoring a right relationship with him and a right relationship amongst them, right? Anytime that happens, you should expect resistance, all right? Like as soon as I read this chapter, I immediately thought of a book I read probably 10, 15 years ago by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. If you've never read it, uh, quite an interesting read, but here's how this book starts. This is Resistance Greatest Hits. See if you can find yourself in uh, what Stephen says here. The following list is in no particular order of those activities that most commonly elicit resistance. Number one, the pursuit of any calling in writing, painting, music, film, dance, or any creative art, however marginal or unconventional. Number two, the launching of any entrepreneurial venture, enterprise, for-profit or otherwise. Number three, any diet or health regimen. (laughs) Come on, y'all should be, everyone should be laughing at that one. Number four, any program of spiritual advancement. So what we're even doing here this morning, right? What Kevin called us to in calling us to worship. Number five, any activity whose aim is tighter abdominals. Number six, any course or program designed to overcome an unwholesome habit or addiction. Number seven, education of every kind. Number eight, any political, any act of political, moral, or ethical courage, including the decision to change for the better some unworthy pattern of thought or conduct in yourself. Number nine, undertaking any enterprise or endeavor whose aim is to help others. Number 10, any act that entails commitment of the heart, the decision to get married, to have a child, to weather a rocky patch in a relationship. And number 11, the taking of any principled stand in the face of adversity. In other words, any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity or expressed in another way, any act that derives from our higher nature instead of our lower, any of these will elicit resistance. So Nehemiah and the Jews at least tick probably half of those boxes that he just laid out. I don't know if they're worried about their abs. But there's resistance, right? Anytime you're trying to build something or accomplish something that's bringing glory to God, that's getting you in right relationship with him or with your fellow man, expect resistance. Jesus himself, on the way to the cross, got resistance from one of his best friends, Peter, who said, you're not going to the cross, and he said, get behind me, Satan, right? Ouch. I don't know if you've been called Satan by one of your friends recently. Why? Because Jesus knew that anything that stood away in the way of God's redemptive plan was to be treated as such. This is actually a work of the devil, that resistance is actually his work against what is good that God is trying to do in his people, right? So three things we're going to look at this morning out of this passage. Lots of R's here. Recognizing resistance. I hope you will be better at that by the time we're done or at least go on the journey of learning how to recognize it. Recognizing resistance, resisting resistance. (laughs) Clever, right? And then finally, our rest in resistance, okay? Recognizing resistance, resisting resistance, resting in resistance, no more ours, okay? Recognizing resistance. The resistance that 
the Nehemiah and the Jews are facing here takes on a couple of forms in this encounter. We're gonna actually really look at it carefully here because I think the pattern here is really important for us in our lives, okay? And it takes on an external form first in Sambalot and Tobiah, right? And then it shifts to this internal form in the conversations that these Jewish people are having amongst themselves, right? So there's an external form of resistance and then there's an internal form of resistance that we see here. The external, right? It starts, and I don't know about you, but I actually think this is really true in my life. Resistance oftentimes starts with a squeaky few voices, right? It's like, have you ever had that experience where like a lot of things are going well, but there's just a couple little things that maybe aren't and how somehow my entire attention span can be kind of locked in on those few voices, right? When there's a whole sea of other voices that are saying something different. The external starts with a few squeaky voices that get really loud, get really amplified. And that's the tactic of resistance. That's a tactic of Satan, right? To get you focused on them, on what they're saying, right? And not on the work that you're called to do. To focus on the resistance to distract you, in this case, through mockery, through contempt, through discouragement, distract you, right? And get you to focus on the resistance and the difficulty of that resistance, because resistance is hard, right? Versus using your energy, using our energy for the difficulty of doing the good work that we're called to. See the difference? It's subtle. Because good work is hard, right? Good work takes energy. So what they're doing here, what Sambalot and Tobiah are doing here is that they're actually trying to take out their heart right now, right? Because remember, right there at the end, or right at the end of the first kind of section in verse six, he says they, they had to work with all of their heart, you know, to continue to build. He's trying to take out their heart for the work, to discourage them, to remove the courage that was gonna be required to do the work. So externally it starts by this. I'm gonna try to tear down what you're trying to build by tearing you down, right? I'm gonna discourage you, not dismantle the wall, because if I can get you discouraged, I'll actually never have to attack you because you'll stop doing the work simply by stopping, by quitting through discouragement. So Sambalot and Tobiah, who they are, they are agents of Satan right now, right? Because anything that's working against God's plan is him. Sambalot and Tobiah know this. Hey, you've got this letter and all this, this permission from Artaxerxes. You've got protection. He had an army, a garrison with him. You've got protection. You've got permission. But I know that pessimism can absolutely destroy you. So I'm launching the external attack. But the goal of that is not just the external threats, right? Because they were coming. But the goal is a shift. If I can move you from external discouragement, right, through criticism, through fear, through contempt, through mockery, if I can shift you from external discouragement to internal discouragement, which is what we see happen here, where you're saying everything that I'm saying, but you're saying it in your own voice. That's what happens here. It stops being Sambalot and Tobiah saying the bad things, and it starts being them saying the bad things to themselves. If I can get you to say it back in your own voice, right, 
have won the battle. So it starts externally, right? It's like trash talking in sports. If I can get inside your head, right? We don't have to play the game. One of the dangers of this, you know, this, we got a, a time of life where this is really more available probably than ever. At least they had to get close enough to yell to one another, this sort of stuff. Social media now, right? Social media has made archers out of everyone, right? And what are archers? Archers are the people who never really have to get into the fight. They stand at a safe distance and they lob their arrows, right? And start the battle from afar. They don't even have to be on the battlefield. Remember in Ephesians 6 that Satan is called an archer. He shoots flaming arrows, right? So it starts externally, but the goal is to shift it to internal, right? Look in the text. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they, will they, will they? You know, they're all like, yeah, will they, will they, will they? Right, can they, can they? And then Tobiah drops his fox joke, right? What is all that? It's trying to get them to focus on and forget the fact that, hey, when they say they, 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 they're basically saying to them, you're all alone in this work, right? I'm trying to get you to actually forget that this is a work that God has called you to, that it's really dependent on you, not on God, right? Forget that God has called them to this, supplied them everything that they need to do the work and to feel all alone, right? Will they, will they, will they? But eventually, what happens in verse 10? Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, you hear it? All of a sudden, Sambalot and Tobiah aren't doing the talking, right? Now it's us. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. We can't do it, right? They're saying we can't do it. Now we're saying we can't do it. And also, our enemies said, you hear it? I'm telling myself what they're saying to me. Before they know us or see us, they'll be right among us. They'll kill us, put an end to the work, right? Wherever you turn, they will attack us. What's going on? I become the fear spreader in my own heart. They don't even need to talk anymore because I'm doing all the talking, right? They don't have to tear down the wall because I'm tearing down the wall of my own heart. And the wall of my own heart has now been breached. And when that happens, it's really easy because of that discouragement to get really afraid and to stop doing the work. So practically for us this morning, do you know that you have an enemy? Did you wake up this morning and acknowledge that? Right? It doesn't, you know, it starts with an S. It's not Sambalot. I doubt any of you have any Sambalots in your life. Right? But scripture says it's Satan. Right? The same enemy that they were facing ultimately is the same enemy that we are facing. And his goal is to tear you down through discouragement. Right? And to tear down the work of God's people, what God has called his people to do. And how does he do it? Well, Satan has been working since the fall through words, right? Satan's a talker is what he is. He's all talk. He's critic, not creative, right? He's an accuser. These are the names given to Satan. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a blasphemer. He's a critic. He's a discourager. He's a schemer, 
right? Ephesians 6 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy. You have an enemy. How does that enemy work? Let's just talk since we're all at at worship. I'm going to call it not at church. We don't go to church, right? We are the church. We're at worship as the church right now. How does it work? How does resistance work in in just this body of people? Like, did any of you have a hard time getting here this morning? Yeah? I mean, sometimes it feels literally like a Herculean effort to make it to worship. Yeah? What are the thoughts that go through your mind as you wake up Sunday morning and Fogzilla's outside and you're trying to decide, am I actually gonna do this, right? You ever say this or hear this? Man, is this really gonna be worth the effort to get there? Golly, man, it's been a hard week, you know? Is that just you talking? Like, I know some people tend to over-spiritualize everything. That's very few people. Most people are radically under-spiritualizing everything. Is that just your voice? Or do you actually have an enemy that's a Sambalot or a Tobiah that's actually whispering that, saying, man, it is just not worth it today, right? You ever have resistance trying to get to your small group if you're in a small group? Like, we laugh about this every time we go to small group. I mean, Emily, that's my wife, uh, she'll just say, I can feel it all day long, kind of the it building, like, oh, gosh, okay. Tonight, babysitter, and we have to figure out, you know, kids. And every time on the drive home, I'm like, man, that was great. Oh, so good. So good to open up the words. So good to be with those people. Right? You ever feel that? Like, I'm tired. It's going to require more than I can give. It's not, I just can't really do it tonight. Resistance. You ever have a hard time getting into a meaningful conversation or a relationship that actually has any depth? That just kind of goes beyond the surface of our lives, you know, where we're talking about some of the stuff that we do or we like. You ever have that feeling of, man, this is just awkward. (laughs) This is really hard. I'm afraid it's going to require vulnerability out of me and I don't want to do that. What is that? Is that resistance? You ever find resistance when you're trying to, like you know you have a conviction, I need to apologize for a sin I've committed against somebody, an offense I've committed. I need to repent to somebody of something that I did. Every married couple should be shaking their heads right now, right? You ever have that thought? Well, I know I was wrong, but so are they. Would you dare to call that satanic? Ooh. He didn't want you to repent. He doesn't want you to own your sin. He doesn't want you to walk in the freedom of your forgiveness. You ever find resistance when you know you need to ask for help, but you don't want to ask for help? And you say things like, man, everybody's really overwhelmed, and they're really busy, and I just don't want to be a burden on them, right? (laughs) Thank you. The junior higher in the room is actually being honest. (laughs) She's like, I do that all the time. Yeah. Anytime you find yourself rationalizing, justifying, procrastinating, 
feeling anxiety over something you know you should do, you can't sleep. Those are just five good examples of what I would call spiritual warfare and resistance that Satan is actively at work in. Do you recognize resistance? Do you call it that? Because if you don't call it that, you can't even put to use the tools that you have to fight against it, right? You end up fighting hard but not smart. So recognizing resistance, how do we resist resistance, okay? I actually think we have some stuff in here that helps. There's more we could say about this. But this is what we see Nehemiah doing. He understands the threat. People are tired, they're working hard, right? And they're starting to lose heart. That's why Proverbs, you know, Proverbs says, guard your heart, because everything you do comes from it. So I gotta guard their heart, right? Not just the wall, I gotta guard the heart. So how does he do it? Well, he re-encourages, he, they're trying to discourage them. He re-encourages them, and he renews their heart for the work, but how does he do it? Well, first thing is this, in verse 14, we'll kind of dance around the passage. He says this, don't be afraid of them, right? Which I always love it when people say that sort of stuff, like, well, I am afraid of them. <laughs> like, just don't be afraid of them, right? Yeah, don't. What's he doing there? He's saying, hey, look, you can feel afraid, right? There's a difference between becoming your fear and feeling your fear. I get it. They're against us, but don't be afraid of them. Because if you're afraid of them, that fear is gonna lead to paralysis, right? Fear is very, very powerful. And what you need to do right now is fear the right things. We're called to fear the Lord, right? Fear the Lord, not fear man. You gotta fear the right things. And so Nehemiah is first off saying, we gotta stab that, that big thing called fear. Don't be afraid of them. Remember what? The Lord who is great and awesome, what is he trying to do? He's trying to build up the grandeur of the Lord again in their minds. Like, Hey, he's the great and awesome one, not Tobiah the fox guy, right? Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome, he's fighting for you. Remember who's in your corner. That's why we sing songs like, be still and know, what is it? Be still my soul, the Lord is on your side, right? Don't we sing a song that says that? Yeah, I should know that, right? I'm the pastor of the Be still, the Lord is on my side. What's he saying there? He's saying, remember, the Lord's fighting for you. You're not alone. And now because of that, you can fight for you, but you gotta fight smart, not just hard, right? Ultimately, you gotta remember who's with you. Don't be afraid of them. Fear him. Secondly, he posted guard, and we'll talk some more about this, or I believe Randy will next week. I'll talk about it at Creep Hall. He posted guard, but didn't post an attack. This is gonna get really practical here for a second. Don't be afraid of them. And he said he posted guard, right? I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, posting them by families with swords and spears and bows, right? He turned it basically into an armored, you know, these are, remember, perfumers, right? Hey, perfumer, here's your sword, right? Guy's probably never held a sword in his life. Here you go, time to fight, right? He posted guard, but he didn't post an attack. Let me just tell you what I think about that. Basically saying this, if they come into our yard, then I'm gonna defend and I'm gonna fight, but I'm not gonna waste my time chasing them right now. They can talk all they want because that's what they're doing. That's what they are. They're talkers. We're gonna get busy acting on what we know we're called to do and we're not gonna waste our time talking. 
Is that we playing their game and me getting off my game, which is, is walking in the purpose and call that God has given me? I'll tell you in what I said earlier about social media, most people post the wrong thing. They don't post guard, they post. They post an attack, they post a response, right? They retaliate versus remember. The Lord is on my side, the Lord who is great and awesome, he is with me. So I don't, I post a guard by remembering, I don't post an attack, I don't go chasing them. What that leads me to do is the third thing in resisting resistance. Verses four and five, I talk with God about them, not them about them. I'm getting really practical now. I talk with God about them, not them about them, right? What does he do? Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder. It's a rough prayer, y'all. In the land of captivity, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. Don't forgive their sins. From your sight, for they have thrown insults in the faces of the builders. What is Nehemiah doing there? He's not talking with them about them. He's talking with God about them. And he's doing this. He's saying, Lord, I'm, dis- I'm discouraged. They're discouraged. Discouragement is, is slowing this down. I'm going to let you deal with the breach in my own heart that this discouragement has created. But I'm not going to spend time arguing with them. I'm going to let you, Lord, deal with them. And when you do that, when you talk with God about them, not them about them, you're allowing God to guard your heart. That's what you're doing. And when you let him guard your heart, you actually keep the heart that you need to do the work that he has called you to do, right? If you're the only thing guarding your heart, or if you're spending time talking to them about them or posting an attack, right, you will spend all your time, all of your energy defending you, and you've already got somebody to defend you. Talk with God about them, not them about them. And yes, Nehemiah, rough prayer, right? He's definitely sharing with God his thoughts on how I want you to handle this situation. We are free to do that, right? But ultimately, what is he doing there? He's saying, I'm gonna allow the Lord to be the judge and do whatever God's gonna do, but I I can't focus on them right now. I gotta focus on what he's called me to do. So don't be afraid of them. Post guard, but don't post an attack. Talk with God about them, not them about them. And lastly, what Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another, right? The Jews actually were working against themselves when they start spreading all of this, like, remember they said they're gonna kill us. Remember they said they're gonna attack us. Remember, oh, our strength is falling, right? Don't do that. Don't participate in discouragement. Encourage one another, right? Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What happens when I don't get encouragement? I get hard, sin. What Sambalot and Tobiah are saying is sin, right? And it hardens us. Sin is deceitful, it hardens us, it calcifies us, it makes us unable to move, it paralyzes us, it makes us like a stone. So how do we resist resistance? We gotta be afraid of the right thing. Don't be afraid of them, be afraid of him. Post guard, but don't post an attack. Talk with God about them, not them about them. And then encourage one another, right? Lastly, lastly, 
our ultimate rest and resistance. That's, that's real practical stuff that we can do every single day um, to actually step into and participate in resisting resistance. But our ultimate rest that you and I have in the resistance that we will face is this, that we have a permanently posted guard over our hearts. And his name is Jesus. He's the one who has already defeated Satan. It's done. The battle is over, right? We have a guard for our hearts. Scripture calls him a prince of peace, right? Which that sounds kind of like, we think of princes as like guys in tights, like, hey, you know, really lame. They don't actually go out and fight. The kings are the ones that do that. The prince of peace, it's actually the word is the war captain of our shalom. He's not some, you know, guy in tights who's not, a, not willing to get out there and fight, right? He's, he's the one who's on the war horse and saying, I am the war captain, taking the fight to the enemy to bring you into shalom, into peace, right? We have a permanent, like, bouncer <laughs> at the nightclub of our hearts <laughs> who will not let the enemy in, right? And as a result, we can do, I don't know if you remember, you've seen the posters, I've seen them, it says, keep calm, carry on, it's got the crown on it. It was a poster that I think Churchill had printed and they put all over England when the Germans, Nazi Germany was bombing England basically into submission and he would give these famous speeches, but they posted these posters everywhere for people in England to basically always have their eyes on that. Keep calm and keep going. We are not gonna give in to this attack, right? Well, how we keep calm and carry on is we have to be kept and carried, (laughs) right? And that's what Jesus does for you and for me. He keeps us and he carries us. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you, he will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You have a guard that never sleeps. Amen. Secondly, you have a guard who's always up for talking, right? I have a 14-year-old. He seems to always want to talk when I'm most exhausted, right? Jesus is never too tired to talk to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's close to you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter when it happens, late at night, early in the morning, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you've got a guard that never sleeps. You've got a guard that's always ready to talk right, and to bring his peace into the situation. And then lastly, and I think I'm going to preach on this next week at Creve Hall. I don't know if Randy will do it here. You've got a guard. He armors these people, right? Remember, he gives them spears and swords, and they're like working with one arm and this. I'm going to talk more about this next week. You um, have a God 
that not only doesn't sleep and is always ready to talk, he has given you armor. You are not an archer. Remember, Satan's the archer. And if you go into Ephesians 6, you'll read about the armor he's given to you. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with the gospel of peace, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the spirit and the word, and the helmet of salvation. (coughs) Nehemiah turned them into an armored camp. That's what he does for you and me. Most of us don't even know the resistance is happening, therefore we're in a battle and we're not armored up, right? We don't even know how to resist and we don't even know that we have actual armor. We have a guard who never sleeps, who's always there, who's near, but he has given us powerful weapons to fight with. Are you in the fight? Are you getting your tail handed to you and you call it something that it's not? He says to the church, wake up, oh you sleeper. This is serious. And he's in the fight, and he's fighting for you, and he's fighting for me. So let's wake up together. It's much easier to fight together than it is to fight by yourself, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you don't just say, fight for yourself. (laughs) I'm not, I'll, 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 you know. I'll back you up if things get rough. Uh, You're with us. You never sleep. You never slumber. You've equipped us with so many things, Lord. They're like like dress-up clothes that I leave in the corner when they're supposed to be my daily wear. Lord, thank you uh, that you give us that armor. You give us your righteousness. (laughs) You give us the truth. You give us weapons to fight against the enemy. Lord, I pray for my friends here. We would not waste our energy like verbal archers trying to fight against every assault that comes uh, that's just a bunch of talk. Lord, give us conviction to give our time and our attention to the wall that you're calling us to build and may we work with all of our heart because you protect it. In your name, amen.